0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Reading through 2 Timothy this coming week, have you ever thought about the last letter you would ever write? You probably not have thought about that because you don't know when that will be. Paul was in prison. Paul was writing to Timothy, a young pastor in Ephesus, his son in the faith. He knew that his days were numbered. He knew that he didn't have long. He was about to be executed. He writes 2 Timothy. We know it's the last letter that he wrote. And so when you read this this week, you're going to be thinking about what, what would be the last words you would ever say to someone? Would you try to encourage them? Would you warn them? Paul does a little of both. I want to read out of chapter 3 today. The message is out of chapter 3. But, but, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, For of the sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jans and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we ask that you speak to us from your word, encourage us, convict us, challenge us, draw us closer to you, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. It was a Bible study group that were meeting, and they got to talking about the unforeseen possibility of a sudden death. Now, none of us knows when we're going to die. At least we don't think we know. And they were talking about that, and he said, We're all going to die one day, and none of us will really know, but if we would all, but if we did know, we would all do a better job of preparing for it. And then he asked this question, if you knew that you had four weeks left in your life, that was all, four weeks, what would you do? Well, one man said, I would go out into my community and I would minister the gospel to those who've not yet accepted Jesus Christ into their lives. And the group leader applauded him and all the group agreed that that would be a great thing to do. Another lady said, I would dedicate all my remaining time to serving God, my family, my church, and my fellow man with a greater conviction. And again, the group said, that's wonderful. You're to be commended for that. And then a man in the back finally spoke up and said, I'd go to my mother-in-law's house for four weeks. And everyone was puzzled by that answer. And when the group leader asked him, why go to your mother-in-law's home? And he said, because that will make it the longest four weeks of my life. (laughs) Now, no offense to mother-in-laws. I I had a great mother-in-law. That would not have been the case, but somebody had to be the butt of the jokes there. Paul's writing from prison, and he knows he doesn't have long. He's trying to encourage a young man. And he knows some hard times are coming. And so he writes Timothy and he said, you need to be prepared for the days ahead. And you know what, folks? Those days that are described are the days we're living in. So let's talk about that. And he said, hard times are coming, days of stress around the corner. In fact, that's how he begins this part of his letter with the certainty of the last days. He said, know this. now." You don't really see that in the English language, but it's written this way when he says, you need to pay attention to this. You need to mark this down. You need to understand this. Do you understand? It's almost like he'd grab you by the shoulder and say, I want you to listen to me. That's how emphatic he is that these days were coming. And he says, know this, that perilous times are coming in the last days. Now, what does he mean by last days? I think he means two things. First of all, the last days would be from now, uh, from the time that Jesus left this earth and ascended into heaven until he comes again. We know that we're living in the last days. Now, how long those days are going to be, we're not sure, but we're living in the last days because we know Jesus is going to return. But it also means that toward the end of that time, it's going to get worse and worse. Now, no offense to you ladies who've been pregnant. I've never been pregnant. I've looked at it at times, but I've never been. But the fact is that when you're pregnant, when you first are with child, make no mistake about it, it's a child. You you know you're pregnant at the beginning. Sometimes there's some sickness that goes with it, and as this child begins to grow in the womb, you begin to feel things that you didn't feel before, and sometimes it gets crowded. And then toward the end, those labor pains get closer and closer and closer until time to give birth. Well, the last days are that way. We know we're in the days until Jesus comes back, but as he gets closer and closer, it's going to go get worse and worse before the Lord returns. So he tells us that those hard times are coming. What are they going to be like? Well, he describes them. Notice the characteristics of the last days. First, I want you to notice one word in verse one. I'm reading from the New King James Translation, and the word is perilous. You may have a translation that says terrible. Regardless of the translation, the word is this is the only place it's used except one other time in Matthew eight twenty eight, where it describes two men who were demon possessed in the region of Gadara. And these men were so possessed, they were uncontrollable. They lived in among the tombs until Jesus cast the demons out of them. What this word means is, is that in the last days, people are going to cast off all moral restraint. And society is going to begin to disintegrate. And we're seeing that happen. I'm not saying Jesus is coming this week, but we're seeing, we're seeing it get worse and worse. The world's not getting better and better. Mankind apart from God is getting worse and worse. And so these verses, verses two through seven, are really a catalog of corruption. I kind of put them in four different categories just to help you understand and help you see them a little bit better. Let me quickly go through them. First, you see a defection. They defect from their devotion to God. Jesus gave us the first and greatest commandment. What was it? Matthew 22, verse 27, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. It's the greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, you love your neighbor as yourself. But here, we see that man is turning away from God. In fact, you'll notice in verse two, it says men will be lovers of themselves, which means To be fond of yourself, not to love God. It's not the the love that we have for God, which is agapao or agape love. This is the word for loving of yourself. Let me ask you this. Are people in love with themselves today? Pretty much selfishness rules. The love for God is gone by the wayside. We don't care about God. All we care is about ourselves. He also said they will be lovers of money. They're covetous. Lovers of money and material things. All that really matters is all the stuff I can grab right here on this earth. He also said they'll be lovers of pleasure in verse four. We get our word hedonism, hedonism, however you say it, from that Greek word that's talked about pleasure. It means anything that you wanna have fun doing. It's not that pleasure's wrong. But notice what he says. They're lovers of pleasure, not more than God, lovers of pleasure rather than God. They don't even care about God. And so you see people leaving the devotion that we're supposed to have for God and the creator of the world, they're turning their back on it. I love myself, I love money, I love all the stuff, and I love pleasure, I don't really care about God. There's a defection going on. That's pretty much going on around us. It's been going on a long time, but it seems to be getting worse, doesn't it? Well, you also see the second category, as a collapse of character. In fact, boasters is the word in verse 2. Boasters. It means somebody who's an empty pretender. They think they know it all, and they try to convince people that they know it all, but really, they don't know it all. I hope I came out right. Have you ever met anybody that just knows everything? You can't teach them anything. That's what this word means. And there are a lot of people today who think they know it all and they, you can't tell them anything. In fact, the next word is proud. They're overbearing. They're arrogant. They look down on other people. And then the next word is blasphemers. They're slanderous abusive. It means to speak injury to God and man. Slanderers is the next word. diabolish We get our word devil from that. The devil is the father of slander and malicious lies and gossip. And aren't you glad that we don't have any of that anymore because of social media has solved all of that? <laughs> it's made it worse. People say stuff on social media they never would have the bravery to say to somebody's face. Then it goes on to say they're without self-control. Now, that word means anything goes. No rules, no regulations, anything goes. It's interesting. This is a 13-year-old article, but I want to read part of it to you. August 25th, 2008, American society has become more intrigued by moral issues in recent years as evidenced by the fact that 55% of adults discuss moral issues with others during a typical week. But a nationwide survey by the Barna Group indicates that Americans have also redefined what it means to do the right thing in their own lives. Researchers ask adults of about eight behaviors with moral overtones that they had engaged in in the past week. The behaviors included exposure to pornography, using profanity in public, gambling, gossiping, engaging in sexual intercourse with someone to whom they were not married, retaliating against someone, getting drunk, and lying. The majority of adults had engaged in at least one of those eight behaviors, during the past week according to george barna who directed the survey the results reflect a significant shift in american life he said we're witnessing the development and acceptance of a new moral code in america they've been surveying these trends for 25 years the result is that without much fanfare or visible leadership, the United States has created a moral system based on convenience, feelings, and selfishness. The consistent deterioration of the Bible as the source of moral truth has led to a nation where people have become independent judges of right and wrong, basing their choices on feelings and circumstances. It's not likely that America will return to a more traditional moral code until the nation experiences significant pain from its moral choices. We're already seeing some of that pain in the fractions of our society. It means that anything goes. No absolutes, no restraints. Every man, woman, boy, or girl does what is right in their own eyes. And woe to the person who would dare question another person's lifestyle choice. I heard about a conversation between a teenager and his grandfather. The young man said, gee, granddad, your generation didn't have all these social diseases. What did you wear to have safe sex? The grandfather simply said, a wedding ring. There's another word, brutal. Brutal means untamed, like ravening wolves. Can you believe how brutal people are becoming? It's because they've taken their eyes off God, because God's not even in the moral compass in their life. And about the time we think somebody commits some heinous crime, we think it can't get any worse. It gets worse. They're despisers of those that are good. They not only hate the good, they hate those who stand for the good. They're heady. That means they're headstrong and self-willed. They know it all. And the word haughty means they're conceited and puffed up. You see the breakdown of character today. The third category is the failure in the family. Now, isn't it interesting he puts in there disobedient to parents that seems kind of trivial compared to all these other things that you're going to see in society. After all, now, haven't we all been a little disobedient at times to our parents? But the scripture says to honor your father and mother. So it's against the word. But here's the deeper issue that children who rebel against their parents will have no qualms about rebelling against other authority. You, son, you, you uh, school teachers. You're well aware of that. You can hardly do anything for discipline anymore in a classroom because the parents are gonna be against you and not take you. They don't even care about the discipline. I'm speaking in generalities. Not everybody's that way. The word unthankful, the no gratitude to parents, no gratitude to God for anything. The word unholy means without reverence or respect and it carries the idea of gross indecency. Sometimes it was used to describe somebody who refused to bury a dead body or even committed incest. The unholy person is driven by self-love to gratify his own lust and passions. I just want to do what I feel like doing. I don't care what it does to anybody else. I don't care what God said about it. If I feel like doing it, I'm going to do it. And then the word truce breakers, they're unreasonable. They won't even come to the conference table. They won't even talk. I can't tell you how many families today, they have differences and and one side won't even come to the table to talk. Failures in a family. And believe it or not, there's still another category. And it's not surprising that there's a counterfeiting of the church. Not every building that has a sign out front that says church is a church. And you would be amazed at all of these people that are described here. Did you know they can be religious? In fact, they're going to be more religious as time goes on because they're going to become more and more desperate people and they're going to be asking the right answers. I mean, the right answer, asking the right questions, but they're just going to follow the wrong answer. They're thinking, I can be more religious, that'll make me better. But until you have a life-transforming experience with Jesus Christ as your Savior, will your life ever change? It won't. There are a lot of religious people who are miserable. There are a lot of mean religious people. In the name of religions, people are killed today. So you're going to find that they have a form of religion but no power in it. And then there are those who, who embrace this postmodern religion that allows them to do anything, to believe anything, to endorse anything, to live any way they want, as long as it makes them happy. And so they take the word of God and they say, no, you know, that's 2,000 years old. That doesn't apply anymore. And that's why verse 7 says they're always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Verses 6 through 9, they describe these teachers and how they do it. First of all, they prey on weak people. Now, verse 6, it says, They creep into households, and they make captives of gullible. Sometimes that word is silly or weak-minded. It does not describe all women. In fact, most women are not this way. So don't write me. I didn't say that. It says, there, but there are some who are so engrossed in sin that they can't even think straight. And they'll follow anybody. I, 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 it's men too. I mean, there are men the same way. They don't even seem to care or think clearly anymore. But they, they, these false teachers prey on weak people, but they also are nothing new. Did you see those two words, those two names in verse six? Uh, I mean, let me back up here. Actually, it's in verse 8. Janus, J-A-N-N-E-S, and Jambres. You know, you're not going to find them in the Bible because they're in the Jewish tradition. And Paul uses them because he knew the Jewish tradition well enough. But they're supposedly the names of two of the Pharaoh's court that opposed Moses. You know, when Moses did some... Uh, signs from God. Well, these guys supposedly manufactured a couple of things that looked the same way. Now, folks, let me. This tells me something here. Toward the end times. First of all, let me back up and say, isn't it interesting that the word "terrible" up there in verse one—the only time it's used in the Scripture—is against two men that are demon possessed. Perilous, terrible. And here he uses these two guys who sort of manufactured something that God had done. And I think toward the end time, there's going to be more and more people who are dabbling in the demonic area that they may actually have, be able to do some things that will look miraculous. Demonism is still real. Real. You cannot be possessed by a demon if you have the Lord in your life because greater is he that is in you that lives than he that is in the world. But but people are still oppressed. Some of them are possessed, influenced. Demonic activity is still going on today. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness. And you're going to see that activity. And in the end times, after Jesus raptures the church in the tribulation time, you're going to even see more of it. Third, their success is limited. Verse nine says it's not going to progress any further. They're going to be revealed just like Janus and Jambres were, that they were not of God. The church, a lot of counterfeiting going on today. So you see the certainty of the days and you see the characteristics. So how do we stand in this time? What do we do? How are you going to make it? How are you going to stay with the Lord? And how are you going to keep on growing and walking with him? So let's talk about the Christian in the last days. What do we do? I don't want to be one of those that doesn't finish well. I want to finish well. So several things have to take place. I want you to first notice it says, but you, which is a contrast, but you're not that way. So the first thing is discernment. You need to use some. Who are you following? You're going to be like that person. Choose your friends well. Choose the people that you follow. You've got to discern, are they teaching the truth? Paul said, but you followed me. You followed me in following the Lord. Basically, Paul said, I had nothing to hide. You know my manner of life. He said, you know the truth. You know my doctrine. I've taught you the truth. He goes on to say, you know my faith. I've tried to practice what I've been preaching. Now, Paul didn't set himself up to be perfect, but he said, if you're going to follow somebody, follow somebody who's walking with the Lord. And he said, I'm also not afraid to go through persecution. When you stand for Christ, you stand for the truth, you're you're gonna follow somebody who's not afraid to tell you the truth no matter what somebody thinks. Discernment, please use discernment. Don't believe everything you hear just because somebody uses the word Christian doesn't mean they're Christian. Just because they use the word Jesus Christ doesn't mean they believe in the same Jesus that you believe in. There is no other testament of Jesus Christ. Don't take my word for it. Discern it for yourself. That's as far as I go there. Just, just discern it. Don't believe everybody is here on television. They may have, they may look successful and they may have a beautiful smile. And they may have a lot of followers. But you need to find out if they're teaching you the truth. Amen. Seriously, discernment. The second thing is you can assume, you're going to love this one. You can assume there's going to be difficulty. If you're going to follow Jesus, just assume that. Now, that ought to leave, we ought to lose everybody after that one, right? I thought, you're going to follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. You're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you're not going to ever have any problems, except that Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. And here in verse 7, excuse me, not verse 7, verse um, 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul mentioned Antioch, he was opposed in Antioch. He mentioned Iconium, he was almost stoned in Iconium. And then Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. They thought they killed him. He said, but the Lord delivered me out of them all. And if you're gonna serve the Lord, there's gonna be some persecution. Now, does that mean you're gonna be stoned? Does that mean you're gonna be beat up? Folks, I don't know what that means. Sometimes it can mean you may be the butt end of a joke or you may be overlooked for a promotion or you may be socially ostracized because you're a Christian, because you follow Christ. There's going to be some difficulties ahead. You might as well expect it and don't be caught off guard. Don't be so surprised. Oh, I never dreamed it would be this hard to follow the Lord. They're arresting people in Canada, pastors, for having church in their home. We don't know what's going to happen. But don't be surprised. It's not going to get any easier for Christians. So if you're expecting it, you're not quite surprised when it happens. I want to call your attention to one other word in verse 13. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The word imposter sometimes is translated magician, sorcerers, jugglers. <laughs> Sounds kind of weird. Beware of the jugglers. I mean, they might hit you with a ball. No, that's what we think about. But actually, the juggler then was not that kind of person. It was more like a traveling con man. Had the shell games. You know, you've seen the shell where you stay, keep watching it and all that kind of stuff, and all they were doing was trying to con people out of money. He was saying, he, what he's saying is there are a lot of religious imposters out there, and they want your money, but they also want your soul. Beware of these. They're going to go worse and worse. So you can expect you're going to have to use some discernment. You can expect some difficulty, but if you're going to make it, and stand strong in the Lord, doctrine comes into play. You need to study it. Paul reminds Timothy that the Word of God gives us the the confidence we need for the difficult days. He says two things about it. He speaks of the sufficiency of Scripture. Now what do you mean by that? He says in verse 15, he reminds Timothy of his spiritual heritage that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible does not save you from your sins, the Bible tells us who does save us from our sins. So the knowledge that's in the scripture leads us to salvation. The Bible, we don't worship the Bible. Our faith is not placed in the Bible, so to speak, for salvation. But the words of scripture, it says the holy scriptures that are written down are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Everything you need to know about salvation and going to heaven is written in the Bible. That's, that's all you need to know. Now the Bible is not an encyclopedia that speaks on hundreds of subjects in the universe but it tells us the one thing that we need to know about the most important thing in the world and that is how to know God through Jesus Christ. So the truth of the word of God can save you. The truth of the word of God can forgive you. The truth can justify you. The truth can sanctify you, the purify you, transform you. Jesus is the truth. And the scripture takes us to the truth. And Timothy learned this from infancy. It speaks of his grandmother and his mother. Earlier in the, in the letter to Timothy, he spoke of Lois and Eunice, why do you think we spend so much time and money and effort in the children's ministries of our church? These people are not babysitting over there. They're teaching about Jesus. It's, they, start, they start with the milk. God loves you. Jesus made you. He, he, he'll save you, whatever. Whatever. It's so important to teach them when they're young. You know, I remember my my earliest my earliest recollections of the church or the church. I thought I was born in the church. I really did. I was born in the nursery, and I thank God I had parents who took me there. It was later I learned that I went to the hospital. I, I was born in the hospital, then brought to the church. But, but, but. I don't even know the names of the ladies who took care of me in the nursery. And I don't even know the names of the ladies who taught me in the preschool department because I don't remember them. But somebody taught me. I know my parents did, but I don't remember every Sunday school teacher I ever had. But I remember they taught me about Jesus. I thank God for the people that work in the children's area and and they are so dedicated to tell others about Jesus and they're not there babysitting. But what I want you to see is it makes such a difference the rest of their life. We're so careful to teach them all the things about the world and baseball and football and basketball and track and all this stuff, but we don't teach them the word of God. And then they go off to college and some professor shakes them to the core. We we need to let them know the sufficiency of Scripture. There is no other Bible. This is it. This is it. This is God's Word because he then talks about the authority of Scripture. And and this is the best part of this whole message, so stay with me. All Scripture... Is given by inspiration of God. It means it's God breathed. It's interesting that over a period of twelve hundred years, with forty different people, that God breathed His Word into them. It doesn't mean that He spoke audibly and they just wrote down every word. That's not what we believe. He inspired them and allowed their own personalities, allowed their own writing style to come through, and yet God inspired the words that they wrote. And what's amazing that over a period of 1200 years with 40 different people or more, it all has a unified theme. Amen. And doesn't contradict itself. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Old Testament, New Testament. Now, we've been reading through the Bible since last September, haven't we? Did you ever wonder why some of that stuff's in there? Oh, come on. I mean, we read this, why is this in the Bible? I mean, there's some pretty heinous things in there. But somehow God said, it's in there. Folks, you need to understand that this is the highest possible view of Scripture. Now... Now, go, look at verse 16. Look at your copy of the Scripture. I want you to notice something. I want you to pay attention to the phrases that Paul uses. God's Word, it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. So God tells us what is right, the teaching. For reproof, God tells us what is not right. For correction, rebuking. For correction, God tells us how to get it right. And it's for instruction in righteousness. He tells us how to stay right. So he tells us what is right, what is not right, how to get it right, and how to stay right. Amen. That's what God's word is. We're thoroughly equipped. Doesn't mean the days won't be hard, but you come back to the promises of God. If you ever think you're going down, read the ending. Jesus wins. He wins. (laughs) But you know what? The only way that you can stand in these days is if you know Jesus Christ. It's the only way. You can know about him, still not know him. You can go to church, still not know him. You could have been baptized and still not know him. How do I know that? Because I've been there. I've been there. Done that. Got the t-shirt. Just didn't get Jesus. Until I realized that my sin separated me from God. And I asked him to forgive me. Why would he forgive me? Well, first of all, because of his mercy and grace. Most of all, because Jesus paid it all. He lived a sinless life, paid for our sin, rose again. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he transforms your life. He doesn't make you religious. He transforms your life. He gives you the purpose and the direction. His Spirit guides you and teaches you. His Holy Spirit will help you discern who's telling you the truth and who's not. And If you don't know Jesus, you can know him right now. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those who even now need to ask you to forgive them and ask you to be the Lord of their life, to come into their life, to save them, to believe. I pray, Father, that you speak to hearts today. I know that there are some who need a church. If this is the place you want them to come, you bring them here. There's some who need to be baptized. They've accepted Jesus, but they've never been baptized. I pray that you'd help them to be obedient to you, Lord. There are some who have things in their life they need to confess to you right now and restore that sweet fellowship with you. They have the relationship, they just don't have the fellowship with you. I ask you to guide them. And while your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, would you quietly stand to your feet for just a couple of minutes? Two more minutes and we'll be done. There are pastors here at the front to pray with you, to receive you as you come. We're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna make you stand up here in front of anybody. We are going to pray with you to help you. We got rooms to sit down with you and visit with you if you need us to. We just want you to know Jesus. We want you to be strong in the Lord. If there's anything on your heart these guys can pray with you right now. Nobody's looking. People are praying. If you're watching us online, you hit that connect button. Somebody will help you right now. But you come? We'll wait just a moment. Then we're going. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555 888 You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.